Whether you have a diagnosis or not, I don't care. I'll teach you how to find what's causing your health struggles using the blood work you already have right here on this podcast, but also in my new book, Why Are My Labs Normal? Go grab it on Amazon and let me know you love it and appreciate the knowledge by leaving a review for both the book and this podcast. In fact, this July, we are having a contest. This contest is for practitioners and every practitioner who participates will receive my new step-by-step guide, how to attract the right clients and build your business with social media and live workshops, not paid ads. There will be three grand prize winners who will receive free access into my next Master Bloodwork live and virtual event, which is a value of $1,200 each. To get inside this contest and giveaway, you will need to subscribe and review the podcast on your favorite podcast listening platform. You can get all the details and join this contest at the link in the bio. Winners will be chosen at random for the grand prize and announced on the podcast on August 9th. So be sure to subscribe. Also, this season, season five, is going to be new directed more for practitioners on Thursday episodes. So Tuesday episodes will be as we all know and love. Thursday episodes are for practitioners and practitioners only for the most part. This podcast is also sponsored by my favorite supplement companies, Systemic Formulas and MyBiome. Come join me inside their private Facebook group for practitioners called Systemic Formulas Clinical Nutrition. For everybody to learn more, join Systemic Formulas on Instagram. All right, let's get started. Welcome to the Beyond the Diagnosis podcast with me, Dr. Kylie. Today's guest is a genetic expert. If you have any questions about genes, tune in. Uh, genes are not my jam. They are Christy's jam, which is why she's here to talk to us about them. Um, Dr. Christy is a chiropractor in Dallas, Texas. So if you're in the Dallas area, check her out. Um, you can learn more about the testing for genetics at geneticdetoxification.com. She also has a book on Amazon called Genetic Testing, Defining Your Path to a Personalized Health Plan. If you have any questions about genetics, start with those two locations. And let's dive into it right here. So Dr. Christie, why genes? Why genes? Um, because it's a ton of valuable clinical information. It doesn't change. So you really only have to do it once or twice if you want a different company to give you different genes. But once, it's not like labs where they're constantly changing. They just, they are what they are. And they can really kind of, warn you about a landmine in your future or like your genetic Achilles heel so you can actually do things to protect yourself from diseases there's and that this is the wave of the future so at some point in time you know we're going to be doing much more genetic testing on little babies they're already starting to do that you know when when I had my daughter nine eight years ago we they checked her for PKU um you know I have that PKU gene. I, I passed, actually, I didn't pass it down to her because I have her genes, but um, they're already doing some genetic testing and they're doing it, but they're not doing it as extensively and they're not doing it about things you can prevent. So that's really, it's a valuable resource. It's just, it's as powerful as what you do with it. It's just about knowing what to do with it. When you work with patients, 
um, and you get their genetic testing, because of that genetic testing, what changes? A lot of time labs change. <laughs> we Often, like labs around here. Every, everybody loves, the nice thing is that, you know, the labs keep them coming back, right? So you do the genetic testing, you kind of go over it, and then you say, okay, well, these are the things we're going to be looking at. And sometimes it's, um, it's often labs because those are easy to have an objective finding. So um, sometimes it's like you don't even have a symptom right now, but you have an increased risk for having a specific problem in the future. And we just need to make sure that you don't have that. So like, it's kind of about what you do with it. So for example, like if somebody has the Alzheimer's gene, then at some point in time, I would like to do a cognitive assessment on them to get a baseline. I'll often do the Montreal cognitive assessment on them. And that's just a really great way to kind of get an idea as to what their cognitive baseline is so that if they have a head injury or if they, um, as they get older, start to experience memory loss, we can say, okay, you are now at a lower number than where you were before. So those are some of the things that, and then the labs are great because if you know what genes to look at, like let's say you're, somebody has MTHFR and that's an easy one because um, a lot of people have heard of it, but it's also an easy one because it's easy to treat and it's easy to test for. So mm -hmm. you can test for it just by running the homocysteine and then you can give them methylated B vitamins. And I usually give people a combination of methylated B vitamins and all the B vitamins to lower homocysteine. I can do you use more or do you use something else? Do you want me to go into that? Like what exactly? Okay. So. What I'm not a big fan of, I'm not a big fan of just giving somebody a massive dose of methylfolate by itself. Yes. Because you and me both. Unless they're like pregnant and then I give that like extra on top, they get like extra on top. But if, if, if the treatment is you have MTHFR and we're just going to give you methylfolate and like we're done, that's just not wise. And there's reasons. You want me to go into the reasons? Whatever you want. Okay. It's, your, it's your heart. You spill okay. your heart out. Okay, so the one reason is that with the methylfolate, um, it can mask a deficiency in B12. So like if you take just a super high dose of methylfolate, but no B12, you can get low in B12, and you won't know it unless you're measuring your B12 levels or your methylmalonic acid, because like usually when you're low in B12 or folate, your red blood cells get too big. And then they'll like, they'll lice when they're going through the capillaries. And then sometimes your red blood cells, you'll have a low red blood cell count. And then like the MCV, the MCHC, that'll be like high. So the red blood cells are like getting too big. The red blood cell width will get too big. And that's because there's not enough B12 and folate. And also you need B6 to make those red blood cells smaller. So if you, um, have a ton of folate, but not enough B12, then you're not gonna get like that big red blood cell that's gonna show up on labs, but you can still be really low in B12, which is extremely dangerous. So that's one reason. Another reason is that if you have MTHFR issues, 
or even if you don't have MTHFR genetic issues, like you can have a perfectly good gene panel on MTHFR, but still have problems with your MTHFR if you don't have enough vitamin B2. So if you have plenty of vitamin B2, then what that does is that actually binds to that MTHFR enzyme and it makes it work way better at methylating that folate. So you've got to have not just the B2 and the methylfolate, but you, you need the methylfolate because that's the end product. Folate's need- B9, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay, folate- B2, B9, B12. Yeah. So B9, it could be folic acid, which is the synthetic form that we don't really love. Um, it could be methylfolate, which is like the activated form, or it can just be folate. Um, so methylfolate and folate are found naturally. The folate is found like in green leafy vegetables. And then your body takes it and absorbs it and it converts it into the methylfolate through that MTHFR pathway. That's part of the homocysteine methylation cycle. So um, you can have plenty of folate, which is the naturally occurring stuff, and not be converting it into the, the activated methylfolate if that MTHFR enzyme isn't working right. And it's not gonna, and then you're not gonna get enough methylated folate and you're not gonna be able to go through the methylation cycle and your homocysteine is gonna build up. Coming back to homocysteine, this was a big tangent. <laughs> We're talking about labs. Um, so then, and then you'll get too much homocysteine. So if you have that B2 bound to the methylfolate, it's gonna work way better. And then, so I always make sure people get B12, B9, you know, the folate, methylfolate. Uh, B2 and B6, because you need all of those for that methylation pathway. And then the TMG, which cuts through the middle, through that BHMT, if, you, if you're looking at a methylation This is pathway. chemistry, guys. This is biochemistry that I, I wanted to throw out the window, you know, years ago. But ultimately, it's B vitamins. You need more of them than just folate, even though folate gets the, the, he's the bad guy in the whole MTHFR situation. So take lots of B vitamins, and then what I like to call them ingredients, your body needs to use the B vitamins that you're eating, right? That is a very nice way of saying it, yes. Yeah. <laughs> you're, no, you're good. That was, that's chemistry. And it's like, we, we need to remember that the even though I speak in such simple terms, the complex processes that are actually taking place. Do you use a different supplement besides Morris? Because my MORS is my favorite. Morris is good. Um, I also like homocysteine redux. Sorry, homocysteine TLR. TLR. Homocysteine yeah. TLR. I actually kind of helps them make that. And what's really cool about that by systemic formulas is mm-hmm. it has what you need to get rid of homocysteine thiolactone, which so like homocysteine. If it's too high, or if you have a PON1 genetic variant, then you're gonna make more homocysteine thiolactone, which is what really is the problem child when it comes to homocysteine. So like, we know high homocysteine is bad, and current labs don't understand like how bad it is because the range is way too big. Like every range, it's too big. Yes. So I like homocysteine to be in like a six to eight range and I get really kind of anal retentive about that. So, you know, 
this is a common conversation I have with people. They'll come you in. Like, like regular homocysteine levels between six and eight? Six to eight on labs, yeah. Okay, that's good to know. So, I, yeah, I think know, my so range is like seven or less. But I think that's just a standard range I saw somewhere. So I'm going to run with six to eight because you're smart. <laughs> I'm going to take it. You know, seven's great, but six to eight is where I, I start getting kind of anal retentive. And if it, most people, they're too high. Um, so if they're above eight, then of course, I'm always looking at their genes and I'm looking, do you have an MTHFR gene? And if they have that gene or like there's other genes also, like they could have an MTR or an MTRR and I'm not going to go through all of them, but they're all, you know, in the book and in the genetic report that I created. And so let's say you have a homocysteine of 10 and you have an MTHFR genetic variant and you also have a PON1 genetic variant, which means that you are going to be making more homocysteine. You're not going to be converting homocysteine thiolactone, which is like really, really nasty stuff that goes out and it binds to your cells and it, it just like destroys them. Basically it causes all this damage and it's almost, it's like irreversible damage. Once it attaches to stuff, homocysteine thiolactone, like it destroys stuff. It's like nuclear. And so we want to get it out of the blood before it turns into homocysteine thiolactone. And so we want to get that PON1 gene to work better. And we want to get your homocysteine levels to that six to eight range so that you're not then making all that homocysteine TLR. So homocysteine thiolactone. So homocysteine TLR has what you need to not just lower homocysteine, but to convert it from that nasty homocysteine thiolactone into homocysteine. Most people don't know that, but that's why that's a really good supplement. So I should be combining mores with homocysteine TLR. Yeah, you could definitely do that. You could even say like, you know, take one in the Make morning, sure it's all one at conquered. lunch. Or you could say, take, you know, one every other day, like alternate or even just alternate the bottle. Sometimes people, they don't want to have a lot of bottles. So say take Mars and then alternate it with homocysteine TLR. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, that's a good way to think about it. Do Mars one month and then rotate it to homocysteine TLR. These are, by the way, guys, um, systemic formula supplements, which we're both big fans of. So yes. Okay. <laughs> we're talking about MTHFR. We're talking about B vitamins. We're talking about methylation and all the fun stuff. What, because 23andMe is so popular, walk me through what they can do with that lab test. Okay, so 23andMe has Ancestry and then Ancestry plus Health. And, and then now they have this new product where like you pay a little bit extra and they randomly give you new reports. And that has even like more reports. Yeah, but and just so you guys know, like, I don't have any affiliation with 23andMe. I don't, you use them, right? But you don't get paid. To I, yeah, I don't have any, no, they don't, they're yeah. not interested in me, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, so the, the reports that all, no matter which kit you buy, whether it's $50 or $250, they sequence the exact same DNA. Okay. And then what you're paying for is the reports. And so my favorite combination is to get the 23andMe Ancestry plus Health and then 
I think it's worth getting even the extra reports for like an extra $25. And then I have people download the 23andMe raw data or I do it for them. Like in my practice, everybody just wants you to do everything for them basically. So we just download the That's human nature. Yeah, it really is. But some people like they're older and they're not very tech savvy. And so we'll just say, you can do it yourself. You can go to genetic detoxification, which is my website. Or we'll do it for you. And almost everybody's like, we'll do it. Just do it for me. So we just charge them in. They do it. And we do it for them. So anyways, you can download the 23andMe raw data and then upload it to 23andMe. Sorry, to Genetic Detoxification, which is my company. And basically, then you get this report that gives you all the different pretty colors for genes. So you actually understand what you're seeing on the 23andMe report. Because if well, I there's it's not all the same. So some of 23andMe is very kind of they when they first started, they were much more transparent about what they were testing for. For example, if I wanted to know the exact genes they were testing for something, I could email them and they would tell me. Or now they put some of it online. Now they have reports for like diabetes and I'm, they won't tell me what reports, what, what, what genes they're looking at. They're like, well, we have like a hundred different genes we look at. And to me, that, that, that really diminishes the value of the data because I need to know like what specific genetic variant somebody has because each genetic variant is different as far as what the risks are. So, and the nice thing is this actually tells you what your genetic variants are. And I don't have every single one that's in 23andMe, but I have a lot of them. And I have many that are not in the 23andMe reports because they don't tell you everything. They're, you know, they're a little sneaky. So, um, but in the book that I wrote, The Genetic Testing, Defining Your Path to a Personalized Health Plan, they taught in the book that goes along with the, the genetic detoxification report, you can learn about the genes and what they mean and what to do about them and what labs to do to monitor your health. There's so many things to talk about. <laughs> My brain is stalling out. <laughs> so, so when people have the 23andMe report, uh, let's say, let's go through one marker. One 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 genetic marker. What do you call them? Markers? Te I, I genetic don't know. variant? One variant. genetic variant? Okay. okay. One of them. The most popular one that... Okay, I'm going to talk heart. about one that I really think is important and very anal retentive about with people and that you're going to really like, I think. And this one is the hemochromatosis gene. Yes. Yes, we're Okay, excited. tell me what hemochromatosis is. I know what it is, but remind okay. the listeners. So the hemochromatosis, hemochromatosis is where you have too high of iron. Specifically, too high of iron saturation is how they really diagnose it. But the truth is, like, sometimes the iron saturation will not be too high. It'll be the ferritin will be too high. Or, um, you know, no, I was you doing, we had this exact conversation ab about iron and what to do with it when it's too high on my last blood work event. So let's talk. What do we do with yes, it? Yes, you're going to love this. I love this. I'm obsessed with this. Um, so, I'll tell you a story at the end, but so this, this is the hemochromatosis deal. You can have this gene and it's, you don't develop hemochromatosis. Like you could have this gene 
and you don't necessarily get high iron, you just have a genetic predisposition to likely get high iron. So, and this is where the epigenetics is important. So all this means is that you are going to be holding on to iron more than people who don't have this gene. So, but if you're like a female who's menstruating every month or you know, having a child, then you might never get high iron until like you're postmenopausal, or maybe even postmenopausal, you won't get high iron. Or maybe you'll even, I've even seen females with this gene that become anemic, especially during pregnancy. And I'm like, you need to take iron, you're anemic. But evolutionary wise, it makes sense that this exists because think about how many people, I don't know about you, but I got anemic when I was pregnant. And I, I was too. really anal retentive about making sure I was getting iron and taking it. And then I had to take like massive doses of iron. They had just, to put me on the prescription. Oh, I hate that stuff. Not that. I loved it. Okay. That saved right. my well, life. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So this gene like makes sense because think about how many women have died from just anemia during childbearing years and how many, not just women, but you know, various people just because they were, you know, couldn't get enough iron. So there's a reason for it. And with genes, like genetically, evolutionary wise, we don't really care what genes get passed. Evolution doesn't care what genes get passed on after you're done having babies. So if it's helpful during like up to your reproductive years, then it's a gene that evolution cares a lot about after your reproductive years, like the Alzheimer's gene or like the hemochromatosis gene. Evolution doesn't really care that much about it because you're already done having babies. So this gene is like very common and it's way underreported. Um, I'll tell you the story at the end about my husband. So basically you get this genetic test and there's two main genes on there. And in the genetic, and 23andMe does tell you if you have the hemochromatosis gene, they just don't tell you which one or what to do about it. And they, they, they kind of downplay it. Like they'll say like, not likely to get hemochromatosis or. Well, iron is downplayed, period. Totally. You'll get like labs back and they'll say, oh, your iron's low. Yeah, that's a big deal. Your body needs iron. Your body, your cells need oxygen. And the only way your cells get oxygen is with iron. And it's yes. like, oh, well, you're menstruating. That's, I mean, they give excuses for low iron and then they wonder why we're all sick and depleted and have no energy. Right. So low iron- Your body a, needs iron. Lots yeah, of it. Low iron's a really big deal. High iron is a really big deal too. High iron, get too much iron and you're going to be more likely to have brain damage, liver damage. You know, people get diagnosed with pseudo gout. Um, there's tons and you're going to have more inflammation. You're going to have lots of problems, even heart damage. You're going to have lots of problems with too high of iron. And I kind of go through those in the book, like low testosterone and all that. So if you download your 23andMe data and upload it to my report, genetic detoxification report, then let me find the page that has the iron genes on it. So this is convenient. At the bottom of this report, you'll see it says iron. And then it yep. has two genetic variants, the one at the top and the one at the bottom of the page. Yep. So the, these two, is that my pinky right there? Okay. So the top one is called HFEC2A2Y. That one, if you have that, if you have one or especially two risk alleles of that, if you're yellow or red on this report for that, you're very high risk for having hemochromatosis. 
if you have one or two of the bottom ones, you're at a risk, but not as high of a risk. Now, having said that, it's been really interesting to actually look at tons of people with these genes and their labs, and you just you see it's it's so commonly undiagnosed, um, and basically it's causing a lot of health problems in people that are easily corrected. So. What happens is people, they'll start getting really high ferritin. And, and I'm not talking about like out of lab range high, although that can happen, but they'll get high ferritin and high iron saturation. And sometimes they'll have like high red blood cells and high hemoglobin and high hematocrit. And it's all because they have too much iron. And so they're more likely to have clots and just all sorts of problems. And basically... The treatment, it, it's so simple. It's just if you go to a hematologist and they'll get you in, <laughs> which I have a really hard time with this because it's so hard to get people in with like hematologists. And then when they do, I've literally had a patient where they went to the hematologist. They already had donated blood twice because I was like, this is a serious problem for you and you need to like take care of this. And they donated blood twice and they felt so much better and their labs got better. Their liver enzymes came down. They finally went into a hematologist, which is like technically the right referral for this. Mm -hmm. And the hematologist was like, why are you here? You don't have hemochromatosis. And they were like, well, look at my old labs like I did. And they were like, you don't have it and you're fine. And they were just like, what is wrong with you? I feel so much better. This is like a serious problem. They, they understood it because they had researched it after they felt so much better after getting rid of the iron, like donating the blood. And then the lady was like, the hematologist was like, well, I guess you could probably go to a liver specialist because your liver enzymes are slightly elevated. And then he was like, they're so much better than they used to be because they got rid of all this iron, but they were still slightly elevated. Um, but it, when you have untreated hemochromatosis for a long time, which a lot of these, like, especially men do, because men are not, um, men tend to eat more red meat than women. They don't menstruate. They don't have kids. Um, so they tend to have more problems with this. And it can start at a young age. I mean, my colleague had a baby with hemochromatosis. So a toddler, a toddler with hemochromatosis. Um, so well, it's you not say like, blood clotting. I mean, I can think of four or five individuals right now who have issues with blood clotting and they're all men. Yeah. So with the blood clotting, it's whenever the hemoglobin and the hematocrit and the red blood cells, like if the hemoglobin and hematocrit are too high or there's too many red blood cells, they're going to be more likely to have clots. And then if you add on top of that, like all these men like to take testosterone and that increases your risk for clotting as well, you get more hemoglobin and hematocrit and stuff. So high iron is so easy to treat. If you, I'm not a medical doctor, but if you can't donate blood, because let's say like you are on a medication where you can't donate blood or you just came back from somewhere that you can't donate blood, then you can have a medical doctor write you a like prescription for taking it to the blood draw place to, to get it out of you. So when I first married my husband like 10 years ago, I looked at his labs and I was like, I don't know why I didn't look at his labs before this, but um, I, I, I might have not. The marriage might have not happened. Because, yeah, because you need to be the wife, not the not the daughter. Which I actually think, like, my daughter, when she gets married or whatever, I'm going to be like, we should definitely look at that person's genes. <laughs> We're going to be looking at that person's genes. Um, 
so anyways, the, um, my husband, he had high hemoglobin and hematocrit on labs. And I was like, you need to go donate blood. He also had high liver enzymes. They were, they were slightly high, which you know what that means? That means like 99% of medical doctors are just like, eh, it's fine. No big deal. Yeah, if they we're not worried about, about it, it until you have fatty liver yeah. <laughs> and cirrhosis. So they were slightly high. And then I was like, you need to like donate some blood and get rid of this problem. And so he donated blood once and then he wouldn't do it again because was, in his mind, he was very confused. He thought he was going to be hurting the people he was donating the blood to because his liver enzymes were elevated. And so anyways, it took a while, but during that time he did 23 Me. I found out, okay, he had, this is probably his genetic report as a sample, but he had this exact genotype where he was like yellow on the bottom gene. So genetically he is considered a very low risk, right? But he's like a 28 year old that has early hemochromatosis, but doesn't get diagnosed until like properly diagnosed until um, years later. And during that time, um, I realized that his primary care doctor was completely missing the ball here. So, and he, you know, he's my husband, so he's not listening to me. He's, you know, so. Yeah, family doesn't listen. They're the hardest patients. Uh-huh. So I, so we take him to a gastroenterologist. They misdiagnose him with autoimmune hepatitis. And then eventually they realized they misdiagnosed him because I did a follow-up lab to see if he still had the antibody and he didn't. And they were like, oh, he's misdiagnosed. He doesn't have that. And so then they send him because I was like, I think he has hemochromatosis. So back up a little. Why, why are you pursuing this? Like, what is he feeling? Or are you just saying, look, he's not feeling anything. These markers are in the labs. We need to check this out kind of thing. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Between the genes and the labs, I'm like, your high iron is destroying your liver. And I don't want to be married to somebody with a bad liver. So we got to fix this because I don't want to deal with this. So, um, okay. So his primary care doctors totally dropped the ball, sent him to the gastroenterologist to check out his liver. They misdiagnosed him with autoimmune hepatitis. Um, they put him on this like ridiculously expensive drug for a while, and then they're not going to recheck to see if it's working for like a year later. So two months after being on that drug, I recheck it myself. It's like a $40 lab test. So we run that test and he's negative. And I send the info to his gastroenterologist. And I also rechecked his CMP. So we got his liver enzymes and we did the iron panels. So we got all that. And I'm like, his, it's negative, you know, does he need to keep taking this drug? Cause he was having some weird side effects with it. And um, they were like, misdiagnosis. He doesn't have autoimmune hepatitis. He probably has polycythemia vera, but all along I've been like, I think it's hemochromatosis. He has the hemochromatosis genes. Look at his labs. This was a really good learning experience. And so then finally they refer us to the hematologist who is very hard to get into and very depressing to go to because the hematologists are all oncologists. So when you go there, like nobody has hair and it's a very kind of solemn, scary place to be, but you have to prepare people for that. You have to be like, I'm sending you to a place that is an oncology place, but I'm not worried about you having cancer, okay? 
So anyways, we go to this place. I give the doctor all the labs. By the way, the labs were labs I had ordered because all the... <laughs> All the other doctors. Nobody else will order them for me, so I'm ordering I'm not them myself, ordering the right like labs enough. So he's like, as soon as he sees the labs I order, which was thorough, he's like, oh yeah, hemochromatosis. Like, thank you. I showed these to the other guys, and they didn't care. He's like, yeah, hemochromatosis. This is easy. Yeah. Okay. So then they just, you know, they take blood out. He goes like now he goes about every four to six to eight months, depending on how much time he has. But it's totally under control now. His liver's fine. You know, his liver enzymes, they were high because he had all that iron that was stored, but it took a while to kind of get the ferritin out. And of course, we loaded him up with glutathione and everything, but like hemochromatosis is legit. You can take a lot of glutathione and still have liver enzymes if you have hemochromatosis. So anyways, he gets better and it's, you know, it was a learning experience and it was interesting because the hematologist was like so fast to diagnose it so easily and he was like, it's so helpful that you already know the genes. We're still going to test them anyways, you know, because that's what they do, just because they don't believe me, which whatever, I understand. And then... <laughs> yeah, you're a chiropractor. Well, it's like, you know, you, you trust but verify, right? And so, so they did that. And then, and then he's like, yeah, um, yeah, you see it all. You know, some people, they have the genes. Some people don't have the genes. So, yeah, because you can have, and I see this, people that don't have the hemochromatosis genes, and they have hemochromatosis because they just have too much iron because they just eat too much, you know, red meat. So when, you, when you're looking at these labs, I mean, I'm, you know my love for labs. You're looking at red blood cell count. Which markers Look, are you? So you do, I do a full iron panel. Okay. Right, right. So the, I do a lot of labs through print, sorry, not principal, yeah, principal labs. And I have to tell you, be careful because sometimes I cancel labs and they don't refund me. So, um, but they have a panel that's like a principal labs iron panel and it has ferritin, iron saturation, um, and then serum iron, TIBC, and UIBC. Mm -hmm. And then I'll do a CBC, which will give you like the red blood cells and the hemoglobin and hematocrit, all that, you know, white blood cells. But, and you'll see it, you'll see it all over the place in labs. And it gets a little confusing sometimes. Um, like sometimes you'll see, it'll just show up on the CBC, but they'll maybe have like a mildly high ferritin. And when I say mildly high, like once it's over a hundred, I'm like, we got to watch that ferritin. I, and, and my husband... So if you see, I see this a lot, where the ferritin is high, but their serum iron, their TIBC, their UIBC, and their saturation is low. It's just the storage form. So that's an anemia of inflammation. Ferritin is also an acute inflammatory blood marker. So it can be falsely high. And if you were to say go donate blood based on a high ferritin, you would take somebody that's anemic and make them even more anemic. Mm -hmm. And and they would tell you because they would be like, I felt bad before and now I feel like total worse. Yeah. yeah. Whereas the people who have high iron, they donate blood and they're like, that was amazing. My eyes are brighter. My skin's better. I feel better. I have more energy. And maybe it's not after the first time. Maybe it's after the second time. But they all for the most part, if they truly have a problem, they feel better afterwards. And if nothing else, their labs get better, you know, so either way it's a win. But the anemia of inflammation, that's where you get the high ferritin and you're actually anemic. And that's a real tricky situation because 
you have to do, you've got to also check the C-reactive protein. And if you have a high C-reactive protein and a high ferritin and you're getting like low iron saturation, then that's, or low iron, that's not hemochromatosis. That's anemia of inflammation. And what I do with those people is, you know, figure out like, is there a food they're eating? Usually maybe sometimes. And then I give them a lot of straight curcumin because the curcumin decreases inflammation, but it also binds to iron. So if they do happen to have too high of iron, it's gonna low, like slightly decrease it, but it's mostly gonna cut that inflammation down. And then what you'll see is often once you get that inflammation down, and you know, give them lots of omegas and all that anti-inflammatory stuff, but just fix everything you can. And this is hard sometimes because these people with anemia of, anemia of inflammation, like they're, uh, the lab tests are kind of like reading the cards, you know, it's kind of like, I think this is what we need to do. Let's try this. Um, but I'm not a hundred percent sure. So, but the curcumin is always, always part of the protocol. Um, fish oil, you know, fix the easy stuff, vitamin D, whatever you can do to get them like healthier. And then ultimately their ferritin should drop like pretty, pretty fast maybe not all the way down, maybe from like 400 to 300. And then you know, but and but then you also have to look at the iron levels. So if the iron levels go down and the ferritin goes down, you know it's anemia of inflammation most likely. Um, so, yeah. Iron, guys. You got iron. We talked about 23andMe, and we talked about the lovely gene MTHFR, all three in one. Whew. That was a lot in like 30, 35 minutes. We did good. I might have been 40 minutes, but nice work. Um, Dr. Christie, as you can tell, is the genetic expert. Go get her book from Amazon. You can, it's called Genetic Testing, Defining Your Path to a Personalized Health Plan. You can get the report. If you already have the 23andMe genetic testing, go get her report so you understand it at geneticdetoxification.com. Awesome. One Thank last question. Kylie. Yes. If you were to start over, if you were to lose everything in your practice, you're following everything, what would you do first? Call Kylie and have her tell me what to do. <laughs> I would do more I'm going to connect you up with the right person after this. I, I would do more marketing. I was telling you before, I, I spent so much energy and time, and I don't regret it. I just, I spent all of my energy and time into creating my book and my report and building my clinical skills and being a, you know, quality practitioner and devoting myself to my patients. And it's kind of like, you know, the mother that never takes care of herself, that type of thing. It's like the marketing is not what I have passion for, but it's like an important part of like having a healthy business. And, mm -hmm. um, and if, if we didn't learn that you need to have a marketing campaign going before, you know, from COVID, then that's when I really learned that I was like, oh, pivot and shift. I wish I had a good email list. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The marketing is a big piece. I always, people ask me like, how do you do everything that you do? One, you don't see how many, many, how many people I pay, but my motto is act fast and act fast by figuring out who, not how. So I figure out if I'm going to do this, who can I have do it so I can stay in my zone of genius and they'll be able to do it faster and better than I can. I'll stay in my zone. I'll divvy out 
the plans I need to divvy out. And I would say, all honesty, I'm paying over eight people right now. And none of them are, three of them are on payroll, but others it's like just for consulting services. So for me, I have three different business consultants. Rudy's one of them. Um, but it's, it again, it's, it's who, not how. And that mindset shifts where it's like, I'm going to, I'm going to capitalize with the money I already have using it for something better so that I can stay. I mean, I mean, we spent and listened to you for the last 35 minutes all about jeans. And it's like your passion, like jeans is you are who you are because you're so passionate about this clinical stuff. Now just find the marketing person to do it for you. Mm -hmm. I got you connected, girl. Thank you. Talk to you soon. I'm so glad you joined me today on this episode of the Beyond the Diagnosis with Dr. Kylie podcast. Remember, if you're a practitioner, you need to get inside this contest and giveaway. Check the link below to get all the details and you can get my free step-by-step guide and get placed inside the possibility of becoming a grand prize winner and receive free access into my next Master Bloodwork live and virtual event. It's coming up soon. So grab everything you need at the link below, join the contest, get the goodies, and I'm here to help you. Why? Because we're all in this together. Come join me inside the Systemic Formulas Facebook group for practitioners. It's also a private group called Systemic Formulas Clinical Nutrition. Everybody else, go join Systemic Formulas on Instagram, and I'll see you on the next episode. Thanks for joining me.